the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know that indeed you are good and you are working all things together for good for us. We love you only because you first loved us. And Father, we know you because you have revealed your secret to us, the secret hidden mystery of your wisdom, the gospel. And as we continue unpack, to unpack that truth this morning, May you be pleased, may you be honored by our comprehension, by our stimulation, by our understanding and desire to understand even more. We pray that you be with both listener and speaker this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Word of God is an appropriate and familiar term for the Bible, the Scriptures. It is not merely words about God. They are not merely words of God's or even words of God. We refer to it as the word of God. It is not even wise words from men about God. It is one unified body of work from God. And so we refer to it as the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 says this. All scripture is inspired or literally breathed out, inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Then in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men moved by the Holy Spirit. In the previous a passage inspired, breathed out by God. It came from God. The understanding of where the Bible comes from is a significant point in our study of the wisdom of God that we have been in in 1 Corinthians. In speaking of the distinction between the wisdoms of man and God, as well as the method of delivering or explaining those wisdoms, Paul has emphasized the superiority and otherworldliness of God's wisdom centered in the gospel. And as he continues to explain this for us, he delves into the role of the Holy Spirit in this whole thing. And we find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Verses 10 through 13. Would you turn there with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. And that's the passage 
we will unpack this morning. And again, he's continuing this flow of thought and explaining the wisdom of God, explaining the wisdom of God in his ministry, explaining how he didn't use man's wisdom or man's methods in preaching the gospel, but used just preaching the gospel according to the methods of God, which is just to present the truth. And here he says, For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. We often use the term the agency of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent of Scripture. He is the secret agent, if you will, because as we saw, that for long periods of time, and even now for the unconverted, the gospel is a hidden mystery. It is secret. And in speaking of the agency or the agent of God's word, that ties into this passage and our outline for this morning. And that is four qualifications of the Holy Spirit to be the agent of God's word. Four qualifications of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be the agent of God's word. Now, to be clear, we will find that This isn't a situation where God the Father sought these qualifications, like he had these written out qualifications, like a boss or a manager looking for an employee. This is what we're looking for. And the Holy Spirit was one of many, or perhaps the only one who happened to meet that criteria that the Father had laid out. This isn't the case. These qualifications that we're going to look at, these four qualifications, are after the fact. In other words, only the Holy Spirit could be the agent of God's word, and we are reassured of his abilities in this passage. You could almost say that we are given four assurances that the Holy Spirit is qualified to be the agent of God's word. So what are those four assurances? What are those four qualifications? qualifications or four qualities of the Holy Spirit that makes him able to do this? Well, the first is the perception of the Holy Spirit, the perception of the Holy Spirit, his understanding. Let me read for you again, verse 10, 1 Corinthians 2. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now remember, this verse comes on the heel of Paul's quote of Isaiah that we saw last week in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 2. And there, he made the point that the wisdom of God cannot be discovered through human wisdom or even human faculties like intellect or even the five senses that we have been given. And the challenge then is to figure out how we as Christians know the things of God, because we do know the things of God. 
And if we can't figure it out through our own intellect, through even the heights of the wisdom of man or our own wisdom, or even through the, the senses of sight or hearing or taste or touch or any of those, how can we know, how is it that we know those things? And the answer is simple. The Holy Spirit. That's the answer to the question. God has revealed them to his own through himself, the Holy Spirit. The word reveal that Paul uses here means to reveal, to disclose, to uncover. And so remember, this ties directly into what we saw last week regarding uh, the, the secret, the hidden mystery of God. So to reveal, in this case, means to remove. It's, it, it's the removal of any barrier that God had put in place to keep the content of his gospel a mystery or a secret. And so these things were revealed. The barrier was removed, and through the Holy Spirit, the apostles were given this wisdom. He, the Holy Spirit, is the key to understanding God's wisdom. It is a supernatural means to knowing that which is naturally or humanly unknowable. Now, this is nothing new. As a general principle, we know the scriptures attest to the fact that men know God through the power of the Holy Spirit, both through the timeline of human history and the revelation of the gospel in Jesus Christ, but also on a person-to-person -person individual level. And so he is the key. That's the general principle. As a specific principle, we know that this is true because we know that Paul has already said this in, regarding, in regards to his personal ministry back in verse 4. I'll read that for you, 1 Corinthians 2, 4. He says, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. There it is, talking about the, the rejection of the human wisdom or human methods. He goes on to say, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Even more to the point, the revelation of God in general comes from the spirit as we see in verse 10 that we're looking at right now. But the more important point that Paul is making here is to explain why the Holy Spirit is the one who can do this. So we, we, we already know this, right? What he said in the beginning of this verse. We've already been explained the wisdom of God, the secrecy of the, the wisdom of God and all those things. So the more important point he's making here and why he repeats some of these same truths is that the Holy Spirit is the one who does this, who can do this. I mean, think about it. If the wisest human being or the wisest even of human leaders, authorities cannot attain to it. If the perfect, the perfect usage of all our intellect and senses cannot attain to it. What is it or why is it that the Holy Spirit can? And the answer to that is found in the second part of the verse. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now, I don't want you to be confused by the word searches. This is not search, uh, like looking for something, like a, like a search party, right? Looking sometimes aimlessly for a, for a lost dog, for example. Or you running around your house or your office looking uh, for lost keys because you don't know where they are. 
It's not searching for something that you don't know. It's not trying to put two and two together. The word searches means in the Greek to examine, to investigate, to penetrate. So it's not that the Holy Spirit is trying to gain some new knowledge or discover something he doesn't already know. Remember, the Holy Spirit is God, very God. The idea is that he is exploring that which he already knows. He is exploring God's purposes thoroughly so as to reveal them and to reveal them in a way that's understandable, as we'll see as we continue on in the passage. So again, he's not trying to figure things out. He's not being alerted or alarmed or surprised by anything new that God has within his mind because he is God. Okay? This is not a process of investigation to gain knowledge, but it is for the purpose of communicating what he already knows. And this, by the way, the word searches, is written in a tense that indicates that this is always true. This is constantly happening. So what is it that he is searching? The depths of God. The very essence of God, in other words. This would include everything about God, even the things that we are not aware of, even the aspects of him that we cannot and will not ever comprehend. They would include some of the things that we are given glimpses of in the scriptures, and we do understand to at least a finite degree. So things like his attributes, things like his choices, his reasoning and his thought process behind his choices, and also his plans. And when you put the two ideas together, the ideas of searching and the depths, and you combine them together in what the Holy Spirit is doing, what we are being told here, excuse me, is that the Holy Spirit so fully comprehends God's nature and plans that he is fully competent to reveal them to us. Okay? I'm going to say that again because that's key to understanding uh, his qualifications or his ability to reveal the scriptures. What we're being told here is that the Holy Spirit so fully, so completely comprehends God's nature and plans that he is fully competent to reveal them to us. Nobody else is able to do this. Okay? Not the prophets. Okay? Uh, not the apostles, only the Holy Spirit, because only the Holy Spirit has the full understanding, the full searching of the depths of God. There's a principle in Greek philosophy, and goes but like this. Like is only known by like. Like is only known, uh, excuse me, like is known only by like. Same thing. So, Dogs cannot fully comprehend human nature, right? If you have a pet dog, you understand that it responds to certain things, certain commands, maybe can even understand when you're sad or happy or whatever it may may be, right? But a dog cannot fully comprehend human nature. Perhaps more uh, to the point is humans cannot fully understand canine nature. 
right? We, we can study behavior. We can study biology. We can, we can look at wild dogs in, in, their, in their wild habitat in nature. We can study the different breeds of dogs. You, you may have lived with your dog for 10, 15 years. You can know, you know the cues when he's hungry, all those things. But, and you may guess like, oh, he does that. I know that look on his face or she's hungry now or she's whatever. But truly, even on a biological level, right? We can't fully understand dogs to the de- degree that dogs do, okay? And vice versa. And this principle is applied here in that humans cannot fully know God or his wisdom because like is known only by like. Only God can fully know God. And that's why only the Holy Spirit can be the one who reveals these truths to us because only God knows fully God. So Holy Spirit, Son, Father, whichever line of the triangle you want to put there. And if there's to be any semblance of man knowing God or anything about God, there must be a link, there must be a bridge, a a revelator, an agent, and that's the Holy Spirit. And to emphasize once again a a point that Paul has made over and over, nothing in this world, including human effort, can bridge the gap to apprehend or comprehend God. Without the Spirit, we would all be left in darkness and ignorance, leading to unrepentance and ultimately damnation. The Holy Spirit is the key. And we know he can do that, and we can trust that what he has told the apostles is true and is from God because of his understanding, his perception. Let me give you a second qualification of the Holy Spirit to be the agent of God's word, and that is the privilege. The privilege of the Holy Spirit, which we see in verse 11. Paul continues, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. I mentioned the principle that only man can understand man, because only like can understand like. On a smaller scale of that principle regarding man, only that particular individual knows his own thoughts. Only you know your own thoughts. I may know certain things about you if you're a close friend of mine, but I don't know all of your thoughts. I don't know everything about you. I don't know the skeletons in your closet. I don't know the whatever would be all the the opposite of skeletons in your closets, the successes, the joys. I don't know what you're thinking. Uh, We as egotistical man, we like to think we know what other people are thinking. We make a lot of assumptions, but we don't truly know. Only that person knows. Only you know you. Only your wife fully knows your wife. Only you get the point. Your memories, your reflections, your motives. These things belong solely to each and every individual. In the same way, only God knows the thoughts of God. And not only... What we're reading here in verse 11, is this a clear statement that the Holy Spirit is God, but also 
that he is qualified to make the revelation that was given to Paul and the other apostles. Listen to Matthew 11. Don't turn there. Listen to Matthew 11, verse 27. This same principle of like can only be known by like is seen in Jesus. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. This is the Son. This is Jesus Christ speaking. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And then here it is. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. That's revelation. Okay? And if it's a privilege for the Spirit to know the mind of God, uh, uh, excuse me, if it's a privilege for the Spirit to know the mind of God as he is God himself, how incredibly wonderful is it that he would reveal that to those who are once enemies of God? He, he knows what's going on. He is God. And what's more, he knows the thoughts of God. In other words, he knows hell. He knows what we have done. He, he knows what we deserve, what we have earned. He understands damnation. He understands the penalty on the cross. He understands all of that. And yet, he has chosen to reveal himself to the undeserving. That is so incredible and marvelous. Have you, have you ever been in a, a situation where someone you know, a close friend, a coworker, has, ha has had the opportunity to get the inside scoop on something, right? Maybe for whatever reason, you, you find that he actually had an audience with the CEO of your company. And the CEO shared some private stuff about the business or even some personal things that you may have heard about on the rumor mill. Uh, maybe, uh, um, you know, uh, something with a celebrity or, 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 or maybe someone you're not connected to, maybe not someone you work for. I actually had a friend uh, who moved up, uh, up the ranks in the White House and worked for Condoleezza Rice. Uh, I had another uh, friend also from the same, uh, we were in the same church and Bible study together, who rose up and was on George Bush's uh, speech writing team. And, and naturally, one of the first things you always ask in a situation like this is, what's she like? What's he like? And then, of course, you want to prod a little, knowing that the answer is probably going to be, I can't tell you, but what did they say to you? Give, give, give me some inside scoop, right? And you have the general idea of who these people are. I, I knew who, who Condoleezza Rice was. I knew about her. I could read about her and of course, who George Bush was and somewhat about his family life and, and, and his faith and things like that. But I didn't know him personally. I didn't know her personally. And so when I had the opportunity to know or get a glimpse of what they were really like, I really wanted to know, what are they really like? Well, because of the privilege of the Spirit and the grace of God, we, to a certain extent, limited by our sin and humanness, we know what God is like. We know what he says, and we know what he's thinking. Forget, forget about Condoleezza Rice. I mean, I, I would imagine some of you, especially those of you who are more politically conservative and, and those of you, uh, you know, who, who, who follow these things, probably when I, when I shared that said, oh, wow. My pastor was, had, had one or two degrees separation from 
some of the most powerful people in the world a few years ago. You have full access to the mind of God, the will of God, the thoughts of God. And it's not just because you have been given a secret autobiography that nobody else, that never made it out to to the publishing house. It's because he loves you and he has revealed these things to all who love him and he has opened the door for all in the world to pick up a Bible, to look on the internet, to download an app, to know God. Forget about some famous politician. Forget about your your favorite actor or your favorite athlete and trying to get to know him or get his autograph or 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 win a, a lunch with them to pick their brain or whatever it may be. Do you understand the privilege we have? Because through the Holy Spirit, we know God, not just about him, not just his word, but have full access to him and full privilege to know God as our daddy father. That should blow your mind. But as with so many things, I think it's something that we can become kind of immune to. I don't know if that's a good word, but we get used to these types of things, right? I mean, it's it's like, how often are you buying your spouse flowers compared to when you were courting her when you guys were dating? How often do you... Uh, uh, tell your husband you you love him compared to your first few months of marriage. We just kind of get used to things. And so we get used to things like we're saved. We know God. We have the gospel. We have the mystery revealed. But you have to understand that this is the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. Emphasis on through the Holy Spirit in this passage because you could not have done it. Well, Let me give you qualification number three. The provision of the Holy Spirit. The provision of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Now here, Paul again makes a distinction between the things of the world and the things of God. The spirit of the world is the spirit or the force that animates the world. It's just a a continuation in his vocabulary of what he's talking about all along in alluding to the wisdom of the world. So this encompasses much of what we have talked about thus far and over the past several weeks regarding the ways and the wisdom of the world. And Paul, when referencing we, and and I've, I've hinted at this already, But you have to understand that he's referring, Paul is referring to himself and the other apostles in talking about the revelation. Because though the word of God is, of course, for all Christians, it was directly revealed by the spirit only to the apostles and the other writers of the scriptures. They, of course, in turn, wrote it down for us or preached it to others and through history By the power of the spirit, we understand it. And to a degree, it was revealed to us by the spirit. But in the direct direct context and talking about inspiration and revelation, those fancy words talking about how we got the scriptures, uh, this passage is specifically talking 
about the apostles. Well, back to the passage. In their ministry and their post-conversion lives, and after the ascension of Christ, these men were given the Holy Spirit from God rather than the spirit of the world. Now, as unbelievers, just like we once did, we lived according to the spirit of the world, right? We, we lived according to the methods and the wisdom of the world. But post-conversion, we are now in Christ. We now have the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of this is found in the second part of the verse. Why were they given, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God? So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. See, we seem to have an allusion to God's grace here when Paul writes that these things were not just given, but freely given, right? Grace, free gift. And God wants his people to know his truth. That's key here. Paul, uh, excuse me, God didn't just kind of piece by piece, well, uh, I don't really want to give this, maybe I'll give this, right? We know from the previous passage that it was held in secret as a mystery for ages. This was not because he had no intention of letting people know uh, this truth. The plan all along was to reveal these truths in Jesus Christ and his followers who came after him to fully reveal the gospel. So it didn't come and, and he's looking down on earth and, and they crucified Jesus and he said, oh man, now I got someone, you know, no one twisted his arm. And so he says, well, I guess I got to let people know now. The world doesn't, didn't surprise him with the path that went down and being more and more and more wicked. And then God finally relented and said, you know what, I got to give him this. I didn't want to, but I'm going to give him this truth. No. He always wanted us to know, but only in his perfect timing. And at that moment of time, he didn't reluctantly give it. He freely gave it. It is very clear in the scriptures what God desires of us. You look at a lot of false religions and, and especially the, the religions of Paul's day. There were a lot of hoops you had to jump through. There were a lot of secrets. There, you know, they, they wanted to keep it for a select few. And even if that group was broadened to kind of go up the ranks of priesthood, if you will, within those false religions, there were, there were secret rituals and secret things that you had to do that even others in the religion had no idea about. You actually see this a lot in some of the major global Christian cults of today. But that wasn't the case, uh, even in how to become a pastor. There's no secret about that. The scriptures clearly lay it out. So to, to rise up in the ranks, if you will, of the church of being a servant, there's no secret how to do that. To become a vocational in your ministry, there's no secret of how to do that. To how to become a Christian, there's no secret in what you are to believe and what you are to confess. He freely gave it and he gave it fully. And now we have that gospel in its entirety and the gospel saves. Grace freely given. All of this made possible because of the provision of the Holy Spirit. Well, we've seen three of the four qualifications of the Holy Spirit to be the agent of God's word the perception of the Holy Spirit, the privilege, the provision, and finally, the pedagogy of the Holy Spirit, the pedagogy, the teaching, the instruction of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. Which things we also speak, 
not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Here we get insight into how the words of the scriptures came to be, what we refer to as the doctrine of inspiration, which I alluded to in my introduction in quoting 2 Timothy. Paul begins by saying, quote, things we also speak, again referring to himself and the other apostles. The truths which we have received from them are not uh, uh, truths or, or not words taught by human wisdom. Rather, they were taught by the Holy Spirit. In other words, these are not just Paul's thoughts. This is not his biography or his memoirs. Right? These are not his personal lessons. These are not his personal preferences. They are from God. Now, I think uh, when, when true Christians have issues with certain things that the New Testament teaches. We obviously, as Christians, know enough not to accuse God of being outdated or accuse God of being a liar or whatever it may be or being wrong. So we attack people like Paul. And usually when we have issues with the New Testament, it falls, on an, it falls into an attack on Paul, which I think is simply because he penned more of the New Testament than any other. And we can easily question, is this really what God wants, or is this just Paul's bias? Is this just his opinion? And, and maybe this contradicts what God actually wants. Well, here's the thing. Even if you're assuming, wrongly, that Paul had the ability to do that, to somehow break free of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit just for a few paragraphs or a few views, you have to understand that the particular issues that we have problems with today, okay, uh, whether it's the commands of, of fellowship or, or financial giving or, or men's or women's roles or whatever other thing we may consider outdated, these are not really topics that Paul would be preaching if he was not doing the Lord's work. In other words, if Paul could say anything that he wanted in his own flesh, those wouldn't be the things that he would focus on. We think they would be because those are the things that bother us today in 2020. But when you look at what was going on back then, and specifically what was going on in Paul's life, these are not the things that he would kind of jab Christians with and throw them in to manipulate them. What he would be teaching and what we would see in the New Testament, if it was of Paul rather than the Holy Spirit, is the teaching of the Old Testament law of God. He would be promoting the suppression of gospel preaching. He would be protesting and trying to destroy or call for the destruction of the church. Do you see what I'm getting at here? You can't nitpick and, and say, well, this is just Paul and Paul was wrong because that's, that's just not what he would care about, right? We clearly understand that these things are from the Holy Spirit. And we know this is not what he teaches, the law and legalism and suppression of the, the gospel preaching and all those things, but he once did. That is what he dedicated his life to before he was converted. 
Now, as a believer and a messenger of Christ, he is teaching God's truth and, in fact, inspired by the Spirit. And there's an interesting nuance that he shares with us at the end of verse 13 regarding how the Spirit does this work and did this work through him, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Combining actually literally means to judge together. And the idea is to bring together, to combine, to compare, to explain, or to even interpret. Ultimately, it is speaking of a means of communication. And this communication is found in the Holy Spirit bringing together or combining the spiritual with the spiritual. Spiritual ideas with spiritual words. In other words, ideas that are expressed in a way that people would understand them, especially considering these are concepts that without him, they would be imperceptible to the human mind. He still uses, however, human language and human personalities through Paul and the other writers of Scripture to convey the message in a way that we can grasp it. And so, combining spiritual ideas with spiritual words, just like a good teacher would. You ever been uh, um, to college, university, and you had a professor that wasn't really a professor? In other words, he was an expert in the field, and, and maybe they just called him in to be a guest professor for the semester, and he's never taught before, and so he doesn't convey the ideas in a way that you as a 21-year-old would understand, but he just kind of conveys it the way he would to his colleagues who have all have PhDs, and you're just like, I have no idea what he is saying. He is not making this understandable. And how much more could God have done that? I mean, even speaking in a language that's not known to humankind, But instead, in his grace, and again, evidence of his desire to reveal that mystery to us, that we would know it, he chooses words carefully, combining these lofty and ununderstandable concepts in a way that we can understand them. Okay? So this isn't just about language. It is about meaning and the message and the right words to precisely and exactly express the gospel. The Spirit is the key to everything. He brings it all together for the proper communication and subsequently proper comprehension of God's will in the gospel And then after that, for believers, his will for how they are to live. And so we know that the Holy Spirit is the only one who is qualified to be the agent of God's word. And he is the only one who was the agent of God's word to the apostles. Now, in our remaining time, I want to answer a few questions, or excuse me, one question to make this practical for you. And the question is, what do we do about this? So what? Okay, great. Inspiration, understand that. 
doctrine of the scriptures, understand that. Holy Spirit is the agent. So what? What do we do about this? What do we do about what we've just learned? Now, this is not directly from this passage, but clearly elsewhere. Firstly, how do you respond to what you just learned this morning? Worship. Why do I put that first? Because that's the first thing you do with anything you learn about. Worship. Anything you learn about, about God, about his will, in the scriptures, any verse that you read, your first response should be worship. Anything you learn about in society, your first response should be worship. People have died of COVID-19, you should worship. Your daughter has died before she was born, you should worship. Your daughters were drowned horribly in the Atlantic, you should worship. You are stuck at home, you are laid off, you are fired, you should worship. There's a vaccine, you should worship. There's a cure, you should worship. You won the lottery, you should worship. You got a raise, you should worship. Everything should firstly be responded to in worship. The essence of worship and why it's possible to worship in any scenario, is responding to who God is. That's worship. Worth in the Old English. Worthship. To recognize his worth. The essence of worship is responding to who God is. And that's why you can look at the scriptures and respond to who God is, but also as a Christian, whatever difficulty or trial you go through, you understand God's sovereignty and all that stuff about him, and you can respond to who God is. And as we learn more about him, the more fully and deeply, such as understanding more deeply the agency of the Holy Spirit, we can worship him. So what, number two? Give thanks. Give thanks. Although giving thanks is part of worship, it is distinct. Worship God for who he is, regardless of what he has done for us. Okay, that's the key to worship versus thanks. That you worship God for who he is. One of the challenges that we find because of our sin and pride is we connect worship only with responding to what he has done for us. When he gives me something I want, then I worship. When my marriage is good or getting better, then I worship. Right? Worship is not responding just to the good things in your definition of good that he gives you. If that is your definition of worship, you are in big, big trouble. Because your worship will not be constant. So your mood and emotions will not be constant. You'll be happy and sad, up and down, but never joyful. Worship must be planted and rooted in who God is, no matter how miserable or how wonderful your life may be. Thanks, on the other hand, as an act of worship, is a response to what he has done, for you specifically or for anyone else generally. And so when you understand that first primary understanding or definition of worship, responding to who he is in his nature and character, regardless of anything he has done, then you can give thanks not just for your own comfort and your own good, but also when you see good things happening to other people, even when it's to the detriment of your own happiness. Okay? Number three, study. Study. 
Even though it is, it is the Spirit that reveals these things, we still need to study. We are not exempt from using our God-given intellect and senses to study. If anything, our understanding of how we got the Scripture should drive us to study it and Him even more. Because if it is God's Word, then we better know it better. See, if it truly is, as we have seen, God revealing Himself to us, we better study it and get it right. Number four, appreciate the Spirit. Appreciate the Spirit. And I don't just mean thank Him, worship Him. That includes it. It doesn't mean just, man, I really appreciate the Holy Spirit for His role in the history of the church. Right? That's part of it. Right? Appreciating people is recognizing what they have done. Right? That's how you appreciate them. And that is, to a certain degree, what I'm saying. But also, when you appreciate someone, it is recognizing what they have done, but not adding to it. Right? It it, it doesn't help if you go to someone and say, hey, I, I really appreciate, you know, what you did by, by during, during the shelter in place. I appreciate that you came by and you dropped us off food. Knowing, or perhaps mistakenly thinking, that he never did that. All that does is make you seem like a jerk or make them feel bad because it seems like you're sarcastically implying that someone else did that and you should have done it, Right? What am I, what's my point here? Appreciating the Holy Spirit is not just worshiping and thanking him for what he has done. It is avoiding worshiping him and attributing to him things he has not done. And I don't need to go into specifics, but you all know that there are major movements, one major movement in particular around the world today under the umbrella of evangelicalism that is attributing to the Holy Spirit things on a daily basis that he has not done. That does not worship him. That does not appreciate him. That slanders him. Be very careful. Even as, quote-unquote, conservative Christians, non-charismatic Christians, we can also be guilty of this when we talk about uh, being led or being spoken to. We need to be very careful. Number five, don't judge. Don't judge. If indeed it is the Holy Spirit alone that reveals these things, and you truly understand that, then you have no right to judge the unbeliever for not understanding the word. And can I say that judging is not just saying, hey, dummy, hey, sinner, you're so, you're so ignorant. But even when you get frustrated when trying to explain a concept to them or sharing the gospel with them and they reject it and you get angry, that's judging them. Don't judge unbelievers for not getting it. And we'll talk more about this in our passage next week. Number six, what do you do to respond to this? And this is for those of you who are not Christians. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Everything that I've talked about, though you may not fully comprehend it, comes down to this. What we are saying 
in regards to how to become a Christian, in regards to who the only God is, in regards to Jesus Christ and the gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection, all of that is the only way to God. That's basically what I'm saying here, what I've been saying for the last 40 minutes. To connect it to the actual words of the passage we saw, it is because we know that this was delivered by God himself. Now, if you aren't a Christian, it's okay that these things don't make sense to you. Because what I've been saying is it's only natural for you not to fully comprehend these things. But if you want to know, if you want to know God, if this sparks an interest in you, you need to come to the Savior. You need to understand that you are a sinner. Not in the minds of politicians, not in the minds of the cops, but in the will and mind of God, meaning you have violated God's will. It doesn't matter if you've been caught by the police. It doesn't matter how big your crime is. A crime or a breaking of God's law, a sin, in God's mind is, can be something small. Even if you told a lie when you were three years old, you are guilty enough to be punished by death, eternal death, which is hell. If you recognize that you are indeed a sinner and that you need God's forgiveness and that you can never earn your own salvation or your way to God, your way to heaven, then you would naturally look to someone who could pay that price for you, and that is Jesus Christ. But he didn't pay the price with money that wouldn't have done it. He didn't just pay the price by living the perfect life that you were supposed to live. But he paid the penalty, even though he lived a perfect life, being God and man, dying on the cross for your sins, conquering death, conquering sin, proving that by being raised from the dead after the third day. And if you give your life to Christ by accepting your sins, repenting, which means turning from your sin and turning to God, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you will receive the Holy Spirit and these things will start making sense to you. But what's more important is you will have a right or friendly relationship with God, your creator. You'll go to heaven forever as well. So what do all these things mean for you as a non-Christian? Accept Jesus Christ and the cloud of confusion that we've been talking about will be lifted. But that's really just one of the benefits of an eternal life and a right relationship with God and the removal of judgment. Well, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the believers that you have reminded us of the clarity of your word and exactly where it comes from and who it was that revealed these things. We are thankful for the truth that you revealed these to the apostles and here we are 2,000 years later and we still have your truth because you have guarded them, you have protected them and you freely and lavishly desire us to have them. Father, I pray that we would excel still more in our worship and our understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit as well as our understanding of your scriptures. Use this to humble us, to promote godliness in us and not to judge others, Christian or non-Christian. Guard us against having an intellectual knowledge that desires to pick fights, that desire to, desires to argue, rather than just to lay flat on our faces in worship. I pray that you would save those who don't know you, that you would show them your grace and your mercy, that you would reveal to them in their hearts and minds, that you would open up the truth to them, 
that they may turn to you, not for today, but for eternity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.